Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. It's that time of year, March Madness. Whether your team's on the bubble or in the big dance, rooting for Houston or Purdue, Big East or Big 12, BetOnline Sportsbook has you covered with all the props, odds, promos, and parlays for this year's March Madness. Use our promo code BLEAVE50, that's B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with the link in the description to this episode. BetOnline, where the game starts. afternoon or good night however and whenever it is you may be listening thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the take it easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. Welcome, 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 everybody. It is a fantabulous Tuesday, March 7th, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever it is that you may be listening Yesterday on the show, you heard Walter Mitchell, Joe Camo, myself talking about the coaching hiring structures of the NFL, social science stuff, because Joe Camo is a professor of sociology at Georgia Southwestern College. Walter Mitchell is a former history or sorry, former English and humanities teacher, and myself am a sociology minor. So we're we've all got some interests in the social sciences world. And so we talked about coaching hirings, which turned into a conversation about the Arizona Cardinals. And Walter and Joe both cover the Cardinals. I co-host and produce an Arizona Cardinals podcast with Walter. It's called Red Rain. You can get it wherever you get podcasts. And our conversation went for almost three hours. It is the longest podcast that I have ever recorded. It was thoroughly enjoyable. Walter and Joe Camo had so many thoughts about the Cardinals. And so the second part of the show is essentially going to be an in-depth review of the Arizona Cardinals and the state of the franchise. And it leads to a conversation about the NFL Players Association report cards that came out last week, which I thought was really interesting and a really great way to get people talking about the conditions for players and labor within the sport. For those who know me, I'm an incredibly pro-labor person. I'm a union man through and through, and I am not impartial on these types of things. And so it's great that people are talking about the labor rights of workers in football. And Walter and Joe and I have a conversation about labor and management as it relates to the Cardinals and our friend Mark Davis who used to have the famous Mark Davis haircut but now is bald and looks like a gerbil. We talk about him. We talk about getting to the middle of the pack. The Arizona Cardinals, for those who don't know, finished 31st out of 32 teams on the grades for the 
NFLPA report cards, and they the only team that finished worse than them has multiple congressional investigations open against them. And, or, well, sorry, multiple government investigations. They have a congressional investigation. They have an SEC investigation. They have investigations into their taxes. Like, there's a lot of stuff going on with Washington. So Washington was 32. Arizona finished worse than Dean Spanos's Chargers and the Cincinnati Bengals. And there are obviously lots of thoughts on that from Walter and Joe. And I really wanted to talk about these NFLPA report cards. So that's the second part of our conversation. If you missed part one yesterday, most of... The information in today's episode is a standalone podcast, although I encourage you to go back and listen to yesterday's episode as well. It was very insightful, talking about coaching and GM hirings, and I think that this is a very fun podcast. We enjoyed it. We're going to pick up with Walter talking about Cliff Kingsbury from the end of yesterday, and I hope that you enjoy our further conversation about labor and management and the NFLPA report cards and the state of the Arizona Cardinals organization. You will not find a more in-depth analysis of the Arizona Cardinals than you will on these last two podcasts. I'll just say this about Kingsbury. I don't know if I've ever seen an offensive head coach um, deliver on four fourth-quarter leads with four different quarterbacks in seven games. Um, that was one of the most astonishing things I've ever seen. Of course, the defense gave it back every time, except for, (laughs) um, but, um, that was one of the most, you know, and, and, and as well as those quarterbacks played, I mean, Trace McSorley going up against the goat. Right. And nearly beating him. He wasn't perfect, but boy, oh boy, he did enough. I mean, he, he helped get the team that like, you know, 10 point lead with, you know, early in the fourth quarter that looked like they were going to be able to hang on. But, you know, I mean, and, and David Blau, I thought the Atlanta game looked, wow. I was just like, this guy's been there 10 days and look at this. It just made no sense as why then was Kyler so struggling in this offense? And my answer to that was lack of reps for one, but for two is I think his morale was shot. I don't think he wanted, you know, he wasn't going to, um, yeah, I think he was distracted. Um, he wasn't, I mean, look at his deep ball. I mean, that went away. I mean, maybe the wrist injury had a residual effect. I don't know, but he didn't look like the same, like he had the same intensity. And I think that the homework clause, just morale-wise, I mean, I, for someone who's maybe had one foot out and now was trying to get both fat feet back in, I mean, I'm feeling at least copacetic about the Cardinals. I think it just, it ruined him, his mentally. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I know Cliff isn't perfect. Nobody is. And and I and as a head coach, he wasn't ideal. Um, you know, but in a way, Cliff, you know, he was benefited from having a J.J. Watt and a Buddha Baker in the building. I mean, they were the inspiration guy. I mean, Cliff didn't have to be a rah-rah guy or a, you know, um, a brazen leader of men in the clubhouse when you already have that from Watt and Baker, you know? So um, that could have worked, is what I'm saying, if things had been a little bit, you know. And, of course, Cliff also had the cabal of assistant coaches who were 
gunning for his job and making life miserable for him, you know, and the damning thing about the Fowler Weinfuss report, um, which I think, and I, Joe, I think you alluded to this. I think Cliff made a number of mistakes social media wise that cost him unless all along he wanted to get fired to collect, as Kyle said, 36 million over the next, uh, you know, and hang out in Thailand. But, you know, the, the Weinfuss Fowler report indicating that Cliff went to Bidwell to ask him to fire Kugler and was told no, because Bidwell didn't want to eat his contract. Hmm. Um, you know, and there's no question in my mind that Vance Joseph wanted this job. I mean, it's pretty apparent that he did. Um, I don't think Vance was overtly insubordinate, but I don't think he did a heck of a lot to help Cliff, um, you know, and especially in late and fourth quarters where that same defense showed up of like soft zone. You could predict it every time why there weren't adjustments made during the weeks to change that and just become all out aggressive to try to win games was perplexing to me. Um, and maybe it was a subconscious thing on Joseph's part, but um, you know, Cliff had all this working against him, which, uh, and I'll end on this note. This is what gives me, I was talking about this, about the Cardinals young staff is now with Gannon. And I'm sort of glad they didn't hire a bunch of codgers as mentors because, um, you know, maybe they will need to after year one, if there, if there needs to be a mentoring, but I like the creative you know, um, mindset of this staff as it is, um, and the experience, the, uh, albeit limited, um, because now it's the exact opposite, Joe and Kyle. Um, instead of Kingsbury coming in and uh, surrounded by a staff of veteran guys who would have been bullshit that he got the job and instead of them, you now have Gannon hiring all these young creative teachers and that's what they are. That's what you and I can get excited about, Joe. Yeah. They're teachers. Um, and so, and now he can mold them. I mean, none of those guys would have a right to say, frickin' JG, I should have gotten this job. Right. <laughs> none of them. So now what you've got is, it also probably got into position sooner than they probably imagined, like Nick Rallis, who's now at DC at age 29. But now what JG can do is feed off the loyalty of the guys that he signed. And when Monty talked about that ingrained, you know, like alignment now JG can mold them into, you know, how he wants his schemes and the fundamentals taught. I think it's fascinating, you know, the, to do that in reverse of what we saw with cliff. I mean, what do you think? Oh, I, I completely agree. I, I think, I, you know, and I, I engage with my fans, uh, uh, Cardinals fans community, like on my channel a lot. And I get to hear what the fans feel about this. And a lot of people were clamoring for more experience and complaining about that. And I, I understand why, generally speaking, we, we value experience and experience in general is obviously something that's very useful and helpful. But I think fans have overestimated or overvalued long tenured coaches 
in this situation because every one of these coaches has experience. It, not as much right. as as some of the other coaches, but it's not like it like they threw me in there. Like I, I've never coached, right? You know these these are people who have coaching experience. They're younger, but they have good experience and they're bright. You know, John. Again, like you're talking about, is picking smart guys that are, are going to be that are going to buy in because they don't come in with any sort of you know chip on their shoulder about. Now, I, listen, I used to be a head coach, and now I'm your defensive coordinator, and I really should be a head coach. But all, but I'm playing. These are all people who right. are wanting to develop their career. They're young, they're hungry, they're smart, and you know, there's there's a certain also kind of element to where sometimes when you're looking at people been around for a long time they get promoted to a point and then they're 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 as far as they're going to go in terms of their development and you want ascending guys i i i think that i i I like the way that they've developed they built the staff it's funny one of the i think someone on twitter described it as it looks like a tech startup you know the the young kind of you know uh hot shots or whatever but I think it's a I, I I think it's going to work out. I mean, look at that's how Philadelphia staff was built, right? That's and right. They were the Super Bowl. Yep. So I think people have it, just saying, "Oh, you need experience" is one of those cliche things, those things that quote unquote common sense in life. But I think sometimes those things become reified, and we kind of overvalue some of those things. And right. miss the fact that no, you know what? There is experience on the South. A lot of these guys have been coaching right. for 10, 15 years. They're just, you know, they're just 35 years old and, and they started right. coaching when they were 21, you know? Exactly. Um, so yeah, I am with you. I, I like the way he's built the staff. Obviously they've got to prove it on the field. Right. Um, but I, I think you make a good point that there's going to be so much more of a buy-in because Every one, right. almost every one of these coaches, with a few exceptions, ties back to their time together in Minnesota. So they have familiarity. They've worked together, and they're all coming in trying to make their mark. And they're they, they don't have that that kind of chip on their shoulder from what they've done in the past. They're going to buy in, <laughs> and I think there's going to be a much more cohesive culture than there was on Cliff's staff, where Steve Kime assembled it for him. Yeah. And uh, just as fun fact, um, or not so fun fact, <laughs> if if, if the, depending on which way you look at it, is that you know how BA came in from day one. I'm going to start up my own BA coaching tree, <laughs> 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 right? Right. And of that, on that tree is only one branch. <laughs> it's Todd Bowles. Yeah. Okay. So in two years, Nick Sirianni has two branches right um to his <laughs> well the the other part that like, bruce arians yeah. has working against him is that he's hired a lot of black coaches and put them in positions of power so that process might take a little bit longer because of aforementioned oh, nfl hiring practices right. yeah you know for a while there uh byron left was talked about as a potential head coaching candidate and now he's a persona non grata uh, unfortunately, um, for his own team, uh, took the fall. I don't think it was his fault either. I mean, you need scapegoats, I guess. And Harold Goodwin was never going to be a head coach. I mean, you know, he was offensive line coach. And, you know, he was just – B.A. was the play caller, so Goodwin wasn't – you know, he was like the Eric Bieniemy of of the Cardinals, only without less to do, um, you it's know, uh, skill-wise. That- 
it's interesting that Bruce Arians has had the same coordinators for most of his head coaching career, which is just because they haven't really been hired by other teams. I mean, Bulls obviously got hired by the Jets and then was promoted to head coach. But like you said, it's a tree that's right. one of one. Uh, the other thing that you brought yeah. up earlier that uh, Joe Camo mentioned uh, about the contracts getting larger. So currently right now, Kyler Murray is tied for third in average annual value of a contract. And he's okay. third third, well, third or fourth, depending on the Russell Wilson details. So third or fourth on total value of contract i will i will say that on week one first kickoff of the season next year kyla murray will be eighth in average annual value of contract or tied for seventh uh so it's gonna look a little bit better when he's eighth in the league instead of third in the league i'm telling you those contracts by year three as long as the player is still a franchise quarterback and that is the, the variable here those contracts are become a bargain. It's just, that's just the cycle. You know, it's so yeah. Uh, yeah. he'll be, he'll be middle of the pack or lower, you know, among quarterbacks like, who got a long-term extension. Right. Yeah. There's, and you know, it's just like the court we were talking about sort of the quarterback contracts are almost kind of trimodal for starters. If that makes, if you have any kind of statistical background, multiple modes, like you have the, the franchise quarterbacks on their second contract or thereafter, you have the bridge quarterbacks and you have the rookie deal contract quarterbacks, right? So the rookie contract quarterbacks obviously are slated and those are the low end. Then you have those big deals, right? The the ones, the 45 million or whatever the going rate is. And then there's a huge drop off to those bridge quarterbacks. Those are the guys that are making between five and 12 million a year, you know, and there's not there's very rarely anything in between those right there's a huge gap there's not (laughs) it's not curvilinear it's just there's a cliff right there's one exception there's one exception in the middle and it's jimmy garoppolo jimmy garoppolo is the one exception right and look at his situation right when he signed that contract he had seven starts i think and injuries so there was a really and he had he wasn't drafted by the t it was a unique outlier situation Right. And Ryan Tannehill is another outlier. He got his contract was more, I think, than Garoppolo's comparably at the time. But yeah, he was also one year. You know, we talked about earlier. So there are a few rare outliers. But if it's a guy you've drafted and it's his second contract, every one of those situations is that upper echelon. Right. Well, and here's the thing, too, is that now you've got a situation. Let me ask you first, Joe. Okay. Yeah. you're the Nostradamus <laughs> contract genius. And I think you are, I'm not saying that facetiously. Thank you. Um, Jalen hurts. What's he yeah. getting? So I haven't, I haven't crunched numbers yet, but it, it seems like it goes up about, about two to 3 million a year, mm-hmm. roughly average the, the, the window or the range. And it, that range itself usually is about three or so million. So let's see, are, are they negotiating? Are they going to be negotiating this off season for him? I, I, this is yes. the third so, okay. Yeah. So I think he's yeah. going to, I think 46 million is going to be the, the floor for him. And, the, and it could go up to like 49 million is my off the top of my head per year. Lamar. Um, so this depends if it happens this year. Right. Um, but I think, I think the window for this year is is 46 to 50 in Lamar. If they get a deal done this year, we'll be closer to the top of that 49 or 50. 
Okay. Because uh, here's the issue now for these dual threat quarterbacks, right? I mean, all three, Kyler, Lamar, and um, and Jalen Hurts had difficulties enduring a 17-game season. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And now the big question is, are those offenses that have designed runs for these guys, are they sustainable um, given, you know, a 17-game schedule? And then if you get to the playoffs, you're talking three or four more games, right? So oh, yeah. I can answer that one. I don't, we don't know whether it's sustainable or not because we haven't seen it play out yet. Um, we can look at old data and potentially go through it. What I do feel confident in saying is that the other two who, you know, I said Kyler's going to be eighth at the end of all this, the other two quarterbacks who are going to get extended, which are Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert, uh, the four of them combined, no one is going to make significantly more than the other. Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts, yeah. Joe Burrow, and Justin Herbert will all make about the same amount of money. There might be two or three million in differences, but the right. playing styles holding up will not affect the contracts that they get. Lamar, Jalen right. Hurts, Joe Burrow, and Justin Herbert will all get likely between the 47 to $50 million window per year. Right. And yeah. I think there's going to be an anomaly. Someone is going to take less because they want to win a Super Bowl ring. And uh, I think Jalen Hurts would be a prime candidate for that. Um, he's so modest and he's so dialed in. I mean, you know, um, and I think he's so team goal oriented. I mean, you know, these guys, whatever they don't make it, you know, if they don't make it to 50 million, they can recover those millions by doing ads and promotions. I mean, it's not like, you know, all they're going to get is a check from the team. I mean, and when is enough enough? I mean, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I, I think I know I've been predicting that, and I know. Yeah. I, I, I mean, Brady did that, but he also had all these huge revenue streams and was and had a unique relationship with his owner. Um, but you know, at the same time, it's also one of those things where, like, I get why fans put the responsibility on the players to do that, but like the owners negotiate these con these salary caps to benefit ownership groups right i mean the salary cap exists at, so owners can limit their spending right and if you're the players association or a player you look at that and it's like yeah okay the ownership ownership has created a structural thing that gives them an advantage in negotiations, right? It limits the cap, the ceiling of what I can ask for. There's right. only so much we can realistically get. So if the owners as a group are collectively going to install that for their advantage, then I'm not going to cave in. None of us should cave in to that because they're already winning and they're going to get, we're going to give them two wins. I know to fans that may not care fans who like want their players to take less that might not resonate with them, but like there's, there's, a, there's something about that, that I get why players won't take less. I do think you have some players who there's a range of what they're worth contract wise, who will take towards the bottom of that range because they want to stay. So I think Jalen hurts might for the reasons you've articulated 
might opt to accept an offer of 46 million when he could push for 50, but I don't think what's going to happen is he's going to take like a 35 million or even a $40 million deal because that would be way outside of what's, what's normal. Um, but you know, like going back to the question of it's sustainable, I think generally speaking, just looking back, I, I, I feel like they're kind of like three ways teams win Super Bowls historically. There's, you can have a really good roster, like a really good defense and a quarterback who's so, so, and you can win that way once in a while. You saw that with Trent Dilfer and the Ravens, right? That kind of thing. Yeah. Um, Legion of boom Seahawks. R- well, right. I mean, I think their quarter, well, you had Russell Wilson though, right? So that's, yeah, but, but their offense was yeah, at yeah. the time built around Marshawn Lynch. Sure. So I, 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 and I guess I'm going with, I'm building this, framing this around the quarterback. So the having a quarterback who is not, who's lesser than Russell Wilson, but having a great defense. Legion of Boom had the right kind of roster, but they had a better quarterback. Uh, yes. But like, you know, like, like Nick Foles, right? <laughs> Obviously there was an injury situation, but Nick Foles and the Brad Johnsons. So those, those wins are very rare, right? Great roster, substandard starting quarterback, getting hot at the right time and the roster carrying feels like that happens once a decade at best. Right. Um, the second way to win is depends how you feel about Joe Flacco. Sure. Well, he's one of those, right? He's absolutely one of those in my opinion, you know, uh, middle of the pack at best. Right. Um, the second way to win, although he might be in a, the second category, the second category is having a decent roster and having a good quarterback, but not the best quarterback, you know, like a, a, middle of the pack or better quarterback who can get hot or gets hot at the right time. And the quarterback kind of draw carries it, but you can't, that quarterback's not capable of doing that all the time. Eli Manning was that quarterback. He got hot at stretches, you know, helped carry them to Super Bowl wins, but also was cold at points. Maybe Flacco's in that category. The third oh, category Matthew Stafford is in, is in got hot. Matthew Stafford got hot at the right time. Right. He's in that category. Matthew Stafford's in that category. Absolutely. The third category is you have an all-time great. Yep. Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes, I think, are probably right now the only two quarterbacks. That's the most sustainable model if you can get it. Right. (laughs) And there's only two of those guys, right? So for me, the question of is the Jalen Hurts thing sustainable? Is the Lamar you know, things sustainable is a Kyle. Is it sustainable? It's not sustainable in that at this point in that, you know, Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, multiple super bowls, but there's only one, one or two of those guys in the league at the time, maybe three at the most. And you got them or you don't. I do think Kyler Lamar and Jalen are all capable of being that second tier, a, a good to great quarterback who, if, yeah, they might you, listen. Some years they're going to be banged up, and that's going to you're going to lose because of that. But they're also capable of having that one year where your team gets into the playoffs, they're healthy in the playoffs, and they carry you to a Super Bowl. Like all those three of those quarterbacks are have the skill, and yes, they they might be a little more susceptible to getting banged up because of their play style, and it's a little bit of a crapshoot but it is absolutely possible and in the realm of possibility that they are healthy and things come together the right way. And yes, would you rather have the guy who's going to definitely be healthy and get you there? Sure. 
but those guys are few and you know few and far between. You know, if you and if you got them, you're lucky. But there's only a handful of those guys. And the one thing I'll add real quickly is if you subtract it out beyond Super Bowls, that third model becomes a lot more sustainable because the Packers won one championship with that model. They had Aaron Rodgers and put competence around him and they won a championship. Aaron Rodgers also made six NFC championships in 14 years and the best team he ever had didn't even make the conference championship because it was the 15 and one team that lost to Eli's Giants. So mm. They were always competitive, every, like more often than any other NFC team. I mean, the next yeah. closest would be San Francisco. Uh, Drew Brees and the Saints, they got the one championship. And then the second run of the team from 2017 to 2020, they won more regular season games than any team in NFL history in a four-year span that didn't make a Super Bowl. So they just got unlucky at the end right. with whether you call it Minnesota Miracle or penalty in the NFC championship game, like they just got unlucky at the end. So if you subtract out beyond Super Bowls, that model of Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes is more sustainable. I mean, we could go to Ben Roethlisberger, the second one that beat the Cardinals, obviously, but the Ben Roethlisberger one or the um, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, Peyton Manning with the Colts. I would even go as far as to say Joe Burrow with the Bengals, but he's obviously on the rookie contract right now. Mm -hmm. So I think it's more sustainable when you talk about just being competitive longer, yeah. regardless of winning championships or not. Yeah. If you can't get, I know Walter wants to jump here. If you can't get that guy, like the Peyton Mannings, the Tom Brady's, the Patrick Mahomes, if you can't get that guy, then your next best thing is to get the guy who has the ability that if things go right, can carry you. Right. And Kyler and Jalen are guys that can carry you if things go right, but might not do it as consistently, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Nope. And now the today's model is the challenge is I think people who don't have the franchise, you know, the long-term franchise quarterback are now intrigued with the thought of what they can do with a, with a rookie quarter, a quarterback on a rookie contract Right. To stack the roster and try to break it through with that before they have to pay them. I think mm -hmm. that's the great debate now is can you get that done? And that's why, you know, in my opinion, it helps to wait and not have to re-sign young quarterbacks after three years. I know it's taking a risk. And I said at the time, I'd rather pay more in two years knowing for sure then not be certain and take that risk. But I think for everyone is, and, and then Joe, Joe's absolutely right that you can, once you do the deal, you can do like the Cardinals have done with Kyler and it won't really count, you know, too much on your cap for two, two more years anyway. You know um, I mean, in 2024, Kyler's cap hit becomes 51.2 million. So yikes. Um, yeah, they'll restructure but, uh, it down, but it'll still be a lot. Yeah, you know, and then you got the whole restructuring thing. So, but anyway, I think that's fascinating too. Some team might break through, like the Bengals almost did with Burrow, right? And the Eagles almost did with Hertz, right? So close, right? So the minute some guy, you know, breaks through, you might have some teams want to sort of reinvent themselves at quarterback with a draft pick every four, four to five years and, and provide the quality 
players around a good young quarterback to see if you can make a Super Bowl run. Because Joe's right. If you have a Brady or a Rodgers or you know someone who's and I Rodgers only won one Super Bowl, which is uncanny. But uh, but a Brady or a Mahomes, you know, then that's the surefire model to try to try to uh, win. But as we speak right now, I mean, Mahomes won it and counted 35 on the cap this year. So we still haven't had a $40 million a year on the cap Super Bowl winning quarterback. I'll be interested to see who the first one of, of yeah. you know, is. I, I want to just kind of jump in on that, that particular 40 million. Like, I think people get a little too fixated on the specific dollar amount. Some people have talked about percent of cap and that's maybe a little bit better, but I still actually think the way you have to look at it because people are using that argument as to why you shouldn't pay quarterbacks, the big contracts. I think the more, the, the way it actually ought to be looked at is year of contract. Like, you know, quarterbacks have not, maybe you haven't had a quarterback who has won when there's a certain percent of this cap or a certain dollar amount. But to me, because of the way these things roll, it's really what it actually is, is you pr- haven't had a court, maybe a team that's won with a quarterback who is in the first two years of the biggest cap hits of their contract because Matthew Stafford, 27 million people talk about that number. But again, if you look at his contract at the beginning, it was a similar right. percent of the cap as Kyler's is. So I think I think the way people are looking this is at this is actually kind of not taking a longitudinal look. It's they're looking at very cross sectionally, and what you actually kind of have to look at is okay, first two to three years of of a new contract, it's it's outsized in its in the amount of cap space it takes, and yes, that's a competitive disadvantage. But so what you have to do is you have to take those three three years and spend those years drafting and building and then years, th- you know, kind of three through s- five or six of the contract, it's much more manageable. And then you're paying the contract extensions to the people you drafted, but it, it all kinds of lines up. And that's the thing I, I want to see maybe a little more analysis of is, okay, it's, it's not about the, the, the percent of the dollar amount as much as the life cycle of the contract. Right. Right. Um, and I think that's maybe a more uh, accurate way to look at it. But, uh, you know, yeah. you talked about that, sh- that, that swift, sh- you know, kind of rotating door of quarterbacks, Bill Barnwell has kind of floated that idea out there. And it, you wonder the 49ers with Brock Purdy, you know, right. uh, you wonder if they're trying that, you know, right. um, and that's an interesting idea. And I'll, I'll th- I know we've gone a while, but I'll throw this out there. This is intriguing. Uh, some people have floated the idea that they're, that, they should restructure how salaries are doing to where contract quarterback contracts are a separate part from the cap. Like maybe there, there's right. a whole different structure of that, and that they don't count against the the base cap. It's a whole different system, and I think that's an intriguing idea based on the way things have have kind of gone with quarterback contracts. I don't. What do you guys think about yeah. that? Kyle, remember Ed Kratz saying that? Hmm. Yeah, uh, well, you got Joe was speaking to my language earlier is that I am incredibly pro labor. I am a union man. Yeah. I am someone who leans that way. So I hear, oh, you want to restrict salaries more? No, don't do that. But <laughs> that's my thought on the double salary cap is no, just make the salary cap larger, pay players more money as a whole, and therefore you'll pay the quarterbacks a lesser percentage. Uh, the other point that I think is interesting is 
So not thinking into the future, so t- not 2023 and beyond, at th- up to this point and years past, how many $40 million against the cap quarterbacks have there been? Do you guys know the answer to this question? Oh, right. Go ahead. I the answer the is... The zero. answer is zero. There okay. has never been a $40 million against the cap quarterback. Patrick Mahomes this last year was $35 million. That was the second highest cap hit of any quarterback. The first being Ryan Tannehill, which was just because the Titans kept restructuring his contract and said this year right. we'll take the hit and trade well, AJ Brown. Right. Because they're all backloaded. We're, t- we're talking average annual. You're right. So you're right. Yes. You know, and you know. so the reason that's the case is because uh, the Vikings with Kirk Cousins, they just kept kicking the guaranteed, kept kicking the cap hit down the road and then just give them a one year extension, give them a two year extension. And they just keep kicking it down the road until the last year that you plan to blow everything up. And when you choose to blow everything up, that's when you take the $40 million cap hit or the $50 million cap hit. It's a weird quirk in the system. So, yeah, no $40 million quarterback has won yet. There's also never been a $40 million right. quarterback. <laughs> and so, th- of course, Mahomes last year was basically the highest paid quarterback in the NFL, non-Ryan Tannehill, and they won the Super Bowl. But that's just because he's Patrick Mahomes, and he's the greatest right. thing we've ever seen at the position. Other teams, and this is the reason I love, um, Walter, you are talking about the model where you get the quarterback on the rookie contract and try and win while they're making not a lot of money as a top draft pick. Uh, the Eagles tried it, the Bengals, the Chargers, all these teams that are about to extend their quarterback. Buffalo tried it for all these years. The reason I love that model so much is because it's the gall of general managers to be like, I can build the next San Francisco 49ers. I'm like, no, you can't. San Francisco is ridiculous outlier who just farts out pro bowlers every year. And I don't know how they do it. Like the Buffalo Bills have not drafted a pro bowler in four years. Like they they have let down Josh Allen in their best window to win. And now they have to do what Kansas City did, which is. All these high-priced free agents, you can't sign as many of them. You can't retain Tredavious White. You can't retain Jordan Poyer. And you have to you have to be a good general manager in order to succeed. And bad general managers, like the Chargers guy, they just let down Justin Herbert the whole way through the contract. They never even got a chance to do what the Bengals did just because they just totally let down Justin Herbert. And so I love when teams think that they can be the next Howie Roseman or be the next John Lynch. And I'm like, no, you're Tom Telesco. You're not going to be able to build that team. And uh, the Bengals were able to do it because of all of the rookies, like just incredible drafting over three years. And that was what put them in a position to succeed combined with Joe Burrow being Joe Burrow on his rookie contract. So to that point, I think that, we're going to see a four once that as soon as we get $40 million quarterbacks, we're going to see $40 million quarterbacks win a Super Bowl. And my prediction is that we're going to kind of rotate over the next few years, Super Bowl champions. Like you might look up and there's going to be six different champions in, in uh, seven years. That's what I think is going to end up happening. Mahomes will get two or three, but I think all of these quarterbacks in the in-between are going to kind of rotate championships where like Burrow might get one, uh, the 49ers might finally get one. The Eagles might get one. I think you're going to kind of see the champions rotate just because of how random the playoffs are. And everyone's going to be paying their quarterback about the same amount of money. 
that makes sense. I, I think I th- it's interesting the way narratives shift, and I think you know you're. I think as you're going to start to see that, and people are going to they, then they'll be talking about how a fifty million dollar quarterback's never won a Super Bowl or whatever. Yeah, but, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> you know, you make an interesting point though. Everyone talks about it being a copycat league, and so someone does something effectively, then everyone tries to follow it. But usually those those followers aren't as successful at it. You know, everyone tried to find the next Sean McVay um, and no one was successful. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of attempts. There's some that have, you know, maybe been a little bit better, uh, you know, and then I mean, people will tries... point to Shanahan, but Shanahan was yeah. hired before McVay. Right, right. You know, and you, maybe Zach Taylor, but that's really more about Burrow. Right. And, and no, then, I've seen know... I've seen Zach Taylor try and yeah. call a timeout. <laughs> On the game-winning interception of a playoff game. I have no faith in Zach Taylor. Right. It's more about Joe Burrow. But then, you know, people talk about winning with a rookie contract. Like, and that's Russell Wilson, right? You know, they they built Legion of Boom, built this great, great roster, especially on the defensive side, one with him. But, like, you know, and, you know, uh, Ben... Roethlisberger, I think, won on his rookie deal. But, like, how, you know, how many court, not, I guess um, Mahomes did on his rookie deal. I mean, Burrow but, won. They won an AFC championship. Right, they just didn't win a Super Bowl. But, like, yeah. It, so, you know, you can win games, but, like, you know, you have, you, unless someone perfects that sort of rotating door quarterbacks, you can't win multiple championships typically by relying on that rookie deal thing, you eventually have to pay the guy, right? And figure or that out. or move on from the quarterback, right. which I think more teams should consider just because of how overinflated the value of draft picks are right now. Right. And I mean, you look at what Seattle did. I mean, they got out at exactly the right time. The Rams got out two years too late on Goff, but they got out yeah. early enough on Goff that they could pivot. I mean, the alternative is you lower the frame of quarterbacks who are special. Cause I said going into last season, there are like 12, 13 quarterbacks I would pay top dollar for. Now I think that number's down to like eight. Right. And there's an interesting phenomenon of why that's the case, but I know that we've been going for a while and I don't necessarily want to dive too far into it more than there's like a 10 year gap of everyone missing on quarterbacks, right. like from, from Matt Ryan to Patrick Mahomes, that eight year stretch, there are no franchise quarterbacks in the NFL. And it's just a weird gap that's now been created where they're either really old or really young in the NFL. Cause there's no mid thirties quarterbacks who are any good other than Russell Wilson and Andrew Luck, who's now retired. So right. I mean, it's just, it's interesting, but the copycat league thing with the quarterback contracts is just because all the systems are designed that way. That's what the salary cap is for. All the systems are designed that way. And the reason that's the case is helps the owners make a whole lot of money. Right. I just added that I, if it were just, I would not pay Daniel Jones. If I'm the Giants. no, no, it's going to be so funny when someone pays Daniel Jones and then they well, can't put the system around him to support him. Well, and I think what's going to happen is the if the Giants don't pay him, then he's going to get bridge quarterback money. That's why things going to happen. We'll see if I'm wrong about that, but I think if he, if the if the if and if listen to be honest, if I'm Daniel Jones, his camp, if they're offering 44 or 45 million or even 43, I'm taking that because I don't think he's getting anywhere close to that from an, another team. Another team is going to pay him less, in my opinion. Yeah. yeah and I, I agree. And I, 
I wouldn't pay Lamar either. So, I would, but you know, he's to me, um, he's one of those guys you pay, but yeah. I, you know, red flags for him. I mean, you know, I, <laughs> I don't, that, I don't but, pay Lamar for different reasons than I don't pay Daniel Jones. And if I'm Baltimore, right. I trust that organ. You know how I said earlier, like, I love the organizations that think they have the gall to say I can right. be the next Howie Roseman. I do think that the Ravens have a good shot at being able to pivot to Lamar. They've already done it with drafting Patrick yeah. Queen and Kyle Hamilton. Like, I think they have a better chance than other teams. Uh, and I think Lamar is that good of a player. It's just the Giants one is funny because Brian Dayball did not take that job to commit long term to Daniel right. Jones. Right. And if he did take that job to commit long term to Daniel Jones, Brian Dayball, you should have held out for a better job, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> you were yeah, the hot coaching candidate. <laughs> uh, here's what I say. Someone's going to pay Lamar, whether it's the Ravens or not. I'm not convinced someone's going to pay Daniel Jones top quarterback money i think he's going to get bridge money yeah yeah no yeah. i just it's just a hunch i just don't there's something about lamar that just doesn't seem right and i i, I like kyler i mean he's not finishing seasons so you know he's not making a case for himself you know you have to be able to endure here i mean look at what mahomes showed us in these playoffs I mean, you couldn't keep him out of the game. He had a high ankle sprain that typically takes five to six weeks to heal and played through it. And, you know, you've got to have, like you said, Joe, in your model of that, if you've got the star quarterback, well, they have to be on the field. And look at Brady's durability over – it's incredible how he's yeah, but the, the end There's only so many people on that list. <laughs> What's that? There's only so there's only so many people on that list though, right? Yeah, yeah a but still, I mean, I I highly doubt Lamar Jackson ever wins a Super Bowl or even gets close. I mean, I just don't think that. Unless, I think they've already they've already been close. They just lost to Tennessee in the playoffs in 2019. Because the reason I would pay Lamar Jackson is drop that 2019-2020 tape down on Lamar. I'm like, yes, I will take a chance on that. I can figure out the rest later. Just give me that guy who yeah but in that offense that is it sustainable that's well with his now injury history no it's a puncher's and, chance approach right there's the sustainable you know pat mahomes kind right. of model and then there is we have a good enough quarterback to have a puncher's chance and lamar is in that model but you there's only like i said there, there might be five guys that are at best and, that are and you know who else is in that model kyler murray kyler right. murray is he gives us a puncher's chance at being competitive every single year and right. if we do the right things around him maybe right. just maybe we can get to an nfc championship and if the cards break just right maybe just maybe we can get to a super bowl right i mean if you can get joe burrow you do it but there like i said there's only like maybe five guys on that list in my opinion that are like that kind of sustainable. So if you don't have one of those guys, you either are looking for them in the draft or you've got a puncher's chance guy and you take your chances with that and try to build around him. You know, it's yeah, it's not ideal. I'd I, listen. If you, if I could have burrow or Mahomes, absolutely. I'd take it, but you know, that guy's not easy to find. And they're all in the AFC, right? <laughs> Which is why I think the list of those guys is one of one. It's just Patrick Mahomes and it's just that organization because he's going to deny a lot of people even a chance to get there. I mean, 
the chart, there's literally nothing the Chargers can do to catch Kansas City other than Kansas City messes it up for themselves. Like, mm-hmm. there's literally nothing the Chargers can do to catch that team. There is basically nothing teams like the Jets and Ravens can do to catch that team. I mean, the Ravens came pretty close in 2019. It's just there's basically nothing those teams can do to catch what Kansas City is doing. And it's why Kansas City is going to deny a lot of people championships on their watch the same way Tom Brady denied Peyton Manning championships on his watch I mean in my mind I always think Peyton Manning only won one championship and if we said Manning won one championship and Rodgers won one championship I don't think we'd be dumping on Aaron Rodgers as much because I know Peyton got the second he was probably the worst quarterback to ever (laughs) win a championship that second year they won with the model of we have a quarterback that's competent and we'll have the best defense that wins a championship and CJ Anderson will almost win Super Bowl MVP (laughs) (laughs) which is a funny thing I was thinking the exact same thing the Manning example right how many how many Super Bowls would he have won if Brady didn't exist i don't that sounds weird yeah. to say probably probably three to four i i would guess yeah and they would have played in more i mean yeah. the other thing with manning is that he only played in four and one of them was that last broncos one where he was like oh, it should have been brock osweiler but because his name was peyton manning they put him in at quarterback and I mean, he only played in four, despite the fact that in the NFC, 12 different organizations played in the Super Bowl for a 15-year run, and two completely different 49ers teams played the Super Bowl. So basically, you had 13 different teams in 15 years make the Super Bowl in the NFC. Yeah. yeah. I think that di- different different circumstances would have changed Peyton Manning's career, would have changed Drew Brees' career. You know, you can insert any other quarterback in that group. Yep. There's, I mean, we've already gone, what, over two hours. We could probably go four hours on this subject, but. Uh, yeah, no, for sure. And thing is, yeah. Uh, before we go quickly, did either of you have any other thoughts about the, the NFLPA report cards coming in? I know we were going to talk about that off the top of the show, and then we went down a different uh a different angle. Did either of you have any further thoughts about the report cards? Um, I, I'll just add that, you know, in particular, like for example, the Cardinals, I think Michael Bidwell, he's def- trying to deflect that at some point. I think he's going to have to face the music because the story's not going away. It seems like, I think there's, I think there's going to be some mind half measure changes that occur from it. And I think it's, I think it's good that it's out there as much as our organ- the organization I follow is taking heat because sometimes you just need that kind of public pressure to get some kind of change. Yeah, and I tweeted out, if the facilities were good enough for J.J. Watt to call his home away from home, call it his home away from home, they should be good enough for anyone. Cultures change because of the people, not the facilities. Now, I recognize... The Cardinals need upgrades, but so do most of the teams in the NFL. I mean, I know here in in New England, Patriots have state-of-the-art in a number of ways, but they've invested in stadium upgrades instead of the locker rooms and stuff and and weight training facility, and they're waiting on that, which they are going to take care of, but it just hasn't happened yet. And Robert Kraft is one of the most industrious owners in the league. It's just, you know, there are priority lists 
you know, the Cardinals bought a team jet. I mean, they're one of two teams now that have a team jet. They got a good grade. It was one of their, one of their only good grades was for travel. And I know some of the players were complaining about that too. So, you know, um, but you know, it was one of the two good grades they got the, the um, weight training staff, which they got an A, which makes it, that itself makes it uh, profitable to go in and train in the building. Yeah, there's, they're outdated things, but I don't think it's this is should be as damning as it is um, as it comes across. And the other thing is, I mean, just my own personal thing is, if you want to buy a dinner to go, you ought to pay for it. I not mean, when no one else of, is doing it. Not when yeah. it's free everywhere else. <laughs> yeah, but but you know, I mean, I Joe. Do you pay for your lunches at, at college? I do, but I I, si- I have to side with Kyle on this because it's just like there there's two questions. There's is it fair and is it competitive? And is it fair? Okay, I mean, listen, I get it. Like the that that you know, people have also talked about the whole childcare on site. That you know, and people are like, well, I don't, I have to pay for childcare. Why should a millionaire player not have to? And I get that there's a, a larger equity issue about how you know, celebrities writ large, you know, get both really great compensation and great perks. And from a, from a fairness perspective, I see where you're coming from that, you know, why, you know, it's not, shouldn't be a big deal for someone making that much money, but from the perspective of a competitive sort of situation, other teams aren't doing that and you put yourself at a disadvantage. So is it fair at a larger social level? No. Um, as an organization, if you're the only one that does that, then if you're trying to compete with other organizations, that's, that's I hear you. it's I a hear problem, you. you know? Yeah, but I just think the whole premise is foolish. I mean, you're a pro athlete making millions of dollars. You're going to do takeout from the building? I mean, come on. I mean, the 49ers on, do on it. A, a the 49ers box, will let you take it out for free. On a box dinner. This is just silly. I mean, does does Southwest Georgia offer you a box dinner, Joe? Yeah, you <laughs> know, you again, it's, class and you can and if we're gonna, by. you know, I mean, if your if your criticism is of the industry at large of the NFL, then that's fair. That it sh- maybe you can argue it shouldn't be expected, but it's you know you know, but it's you know, in corporate levels, it's kind of like this: the top companies that are trying to. Uh, recruit the top talent offer on-site daycare. They offer free Starbucks. I mean, you hear about big companies, right? Right. The you know, perks, so yeah. yeah, that offer the perks, and that's just so. It's to me, it's the same kind of thing. That it's yeah, I get it. That you and I are gonna be like, my employer doesn't do that for me, but like, whether it's fair or not, the Googles yeah. of the world or whatever company you know, that's, that's trying, they, they, they offer that. And if yeah. you are trying to compete with them and you don't offer it, no. you lose, you know, I completely agree with that. I'm yeah. just saying that, I mean, the nitpicking over stuff like this, there are more important things. than you know, if you don't like the lunches, bring a lunch, you know, or go sign with another team. And that's what yeah, will happen. I mean, right? I mean, it's just, but I agree with you that how you treat your employees is, is important. And at least we've gotten past the days of 
of um, Bill Bedwell charging players for every Gatorade. Oof, yeah. <laughs> uh, they drank out of the, um, you know, the Gatorade um, fridge. Um, well, and so uh, I wanted to talk about the tweet that you brought up because I, I responded that like both of these things can be true at the same time on your thing, Walter, because these teams I don't think they ha- can, right. I mean, I, I, I yeah. because the Cardinals just put, I think, over $500 million in one calendar year into buying a team jet and making $200 million worth of renovations and upgrades on the stadium, which long-term is, is important to do now because you want to, they want to maintain their status as one of the most attractive Super Bowl and Fiesta Bowl sites. So, and make the fan experience even better. In my estimation, those priorities were pretty cool. I mean, they're one of two teams now with a team jet. Um, And, you know, the players, as I said, did give that a good grade. Um, And I think it's cool. I would put up a poll and ask fans if, if what they thought the players would have voted for, if the players were given the choice of, Upgraded facilities first or a team jet first. My hunch was that the players would have said team jet because I know they were, they were very uncomfortable on those charters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would have said that, but the fans didn't. They overwhelmingly thought the players would say like 83% of the fans of the players would much prefer, um, you know, better team facilities first than getting a jet second. So I, I defer to them and I defer to, to you guys, but I, and I thought you made an interesting question of that. I'm not sure financially in a Super Bowl year or two that you could have done all of that in one year. Um, and in fact, okay, so yes, I do believe in one year, it's probably not reasonable because that's a time constraint more than a financial constraint. The way that it would appear the Arizona Cardinals run their organization. And the reason I say it appears is because if you finish lower than the Dean Spanos chargers, I'm going to call you cheap (laughs) as someone who grew up in San Diego. I think it's fair to say that if you finish worse than the Dean Spanos chargers and the team that reuses jock straps, you're probably a cheap organization. And at the same time, the Arizona Cardinals generated over $450 million in revenue last year. Now, at the same time, according this is according to statista.com. That's one of the lower ends of the revenue stream in the NFL. And the NFL has some mechanisms of revenue sharing so that teams don't you yeah. know, go into bankruptcy. And at the same time, it's not a question of this or that, because in my mind, it's not a zero-sum game. It's not... If you spend this money, then it can't go to something else. It would be if you'd spend this money, it decreases from your profits. And the Cardinals have decided, like, this is the amount of money we're comfortable spending. We are going to run this like a profitable business. And as a result of that, we're going to cut costs in certain places because the way to increase profits is either increase your revenue or decrease your costs. And so the money is there. It's just a zero-sum game of we will allocate this much money, and if we take this away, then it takes money away from somewhere else. And the way that most NFL teams run their team and run their organizations are 
this is not a zero sum game. We will use the resources and pour it back into our team to improve the experience for the players and potentially sign more players. And yeah, NFL is different because of uh, salary cap structures, but it's that both can be true in that you can change your culture by bringing in new people and empowering them to be their best selves. And if they're strong leaders and have good schemes, then potentially you'll have a success. And if you draft well, your team will see results on the field. And you can also spend the money at the levels of even the 20th place team in the NFL in order to give your team decent facilities. doesn't have to be top 10. Just give your team not crumbling floorboards and not charging players for meals as they leave the organization as the only team to do so. And that's where I felt both of those things can be true. You can empower the people in your organization to do the best job themselves and be strong leaders, and you can spend the resources that other teams are. You don't have to make it a zero-sum game, which seems like the way the Cardinals do it. And I know from experience and reporting that's been done, that's how the Chargers run their team. It's a zero-sum game. And if we're going to have to spend money on these practice facilities, we're going to pay zero rent on our actual stadium and move to Los Angeles and all that stuff. So, yeah, it seems like they operate like it's a zero-sum game when it's not in this respect. And by the way... If it's too much to spend at the levels of an average NFL team for the Bidwells, I would recommend selling to someone who can afford to spend at those rates. And that's the problem that's going oh on in a lot of labor oh fights boy. right now. If Cardinal fans at the two and a half hour mark are still listening to this, <laughs> first of all, I want to send you a, some sort of gift. So if you want to um, contact me at, at WBJ Mitch on Twitter, if you're still in this two and a half hours <laughs> in, I am. Uh, I'm going to lavish you with some sort of reward. But if you you just heard it from Kyle Ledbetter, the manna to your ears is Bidwell <laughs> selling the team. I yeah, mean, I'll break this up into two podcasts too. By the yes, way, so this is yeah. the second part of the second podcast. Oh, then no, 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 no. Then no, <laughs> that would be one podcast and the marathoners. But you know, look. You're right, and it should have been done previously, and the, all that. But here's the here's the reality of what I've been told. Michael Bidwell was hit hard by the COVID years in team revenue, loss of team revenue. He's still trying to recover. He had a Super Bowl coming up, which was going to cost him all like like I said, the two hundred million dollars in stadium, you know, um, improvements. Now, that didn't go into the locker room or the training facility. It went into actual, you know, things that could make the fan experience more enjoyable. And, you know, it was more fan-related and catered to appeasing the NFL and keeping the stadium state-of-the-art. That's one thing the Cardinals do have is this state-of-the-art stadium. They still haven't figured out the the field on the tray. Um, it only makes sense to me that, that at times well, with a field on a tray, it's going to be wet because there's, you know, it's not like real sod where, you, where it can drain, you know, the, where moisture can drain all the way down to the, you know, bottom roots. Um, you know, but 
they have to still have to figure that part of it out, but they have a state of the art stadium. I mean, that should be a plus for any Cardinals fans uh, and players. I mean, that's not mentioned in this report. Also, I think a context here is, you know, even though all these things are necessary, you're also pulling players right now where we're at an all-time low fed up with the Cardinals. So I think they're about to give F minus this to anything. Yeah. Now, the, my understanding is it was a, it was a survey of league wide, so it was also outside perceptions and people who visited. Is my understanding? Oh, see, you know, yeah. I mean, I mean, all right, I get it, I get it, but you know, yeah. uh, it doesn't feel good. Is, yeah, no, it doesn't. Say, well, free agents will see this and they won't want to come to the Cardinals. Yeah, we've already covered that in this epic broad <laughs> broadcast podcast. It was covered earlier when someone wise said that money talks. In other words, you got J.J. Watt in the building. It wasn't because he checked out the facilities. And in <laughs> fact, he made him a home. I mean, if you put him in a garage, you know, with a with a, uh, you know, a boom box, he'd be fine. Um, and give him a couple buddies to work out with. He'd be fine. So but. You know, it's uh, the bottom line is, and we know this as Cardinal fans, we may have to a little bit overpay for some free agents when we want them and outbid the field. And, but that's the way it is for most teams in the NFL. See, I have a phrase for that. I call it the Jaguars tax. (laughs) What does that mean? The Jaguars have to pay more money to other free agents because no one wants to live in Jacksonville and no one wants to play for that terrible organization. And what's ironic, they they they're it should be offset by the no state tax, right? But no, you know, no, the Jaguars the Jaguars are <laughs> just get, that poor. Yeah, it's that bad. I yeah, I just want to add one thing: the the discussion of Michael Bidwell and the short term kind of thing and what he's spent. I think you know, yeah, it, you're right that in one year you can't do everything and. And the organization is limited by its finances. That's just the reality. I wrote an article though on, on AZ Sports Underground um, uh, during the during the coaching search when people were frustrated about the, how long it was taken. And the 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 the, the article was uh, I think it titled "Michael Bidwell is Paying for the Sins of the Past." And right. Although that was more about the coaching search, I think it also applies to this issue. It's like. I feel like this offseason, Michael Bidwell, despite the criticisms that he's drawing, has had the, done the best job of any offseason I've seen from him in terms of how he's approached hiring from outside, the, how he's taken his time with the coaching hire, how he's letting his GM get the coach he wanted, and how he's letting his coach hire the guys he wants. And although he wanted them to was hoping to retain Vance Joseph. He did not make that an absolute requirement. I, and I, and he did put money into the facilities. I think in the short run, Michael Bidwell's done more good this off season than any other off season. There have also been some missteps, but the accumulation of long histories of keeping Steve Keimer out, hiring from inside, not upgrading facilities, enough there have been right. some it all has p- built up to the point where even though he's probably had at least what i think is his best off season that i've seen from him it's he's he's swimming upstream against a long history of 
problems right. that he's trying to clean up and that will not be able to be cleaned up in one year. Yeah, I agree with the, uh, I, the end result here is, is, uh, I think if you're not going to get a Sean Payton that will absolutely, you know, um, like light a fire under the whole organization, um, they came out of this pretty well with Bidwell making the choices that he did. I, as I said, I thought he could have handled the communication of all this better so that he didn't like yank people's chains, but, or hold on to people unnecessarily for, for longer than he, he did. But, but, and you know, it's to wind up with a young staff. Now it also suits Bidwell's purpose because he found a GM who would agree to come in at his figure and a coach he because he found a we, coach yeah. who would come in at the head coaching minimum or, or around it. And all these young coaches, I bet he hasn't had to pay like you would have to pay a veteran coach. Right. So, yes. And by the way, Walter, you're a fan of the Oakland athletics. They've done this many times where they say we're getting younger. We're getting youthful when it just means cutting costs. (laughs) Right. And so, but in a way we know why Bidwell has to do this. You know, he's eating Cliff's contract. Um, He got bailed out with Vance. Although I think probably Vance's contract in Denver might be lower than the raise he got from Bidwell. So he'll have to play pay that balance balance. He's got to be paying Billy Davis's contract unless that, you know, there were guys that were not retained from this current coaching staff that have not landed with other teams. So he's got to play pay the remainder of those. I don't know what the arrangement is with Steve Kime. Do you, Joe? Is he paying Kime for, on his contract for the next I don't know the deal. I th- my understanding is it what that there was guarantees in there, if not fully guaranteed. But you know the, the league has those that those offset sorts of things. You know where you know the, he and part of that offset is that the person is expected to at least attempt to get a coaching job or a general manager job. There's sort of this expectate or this impetus upon uh, the the person to do that as well. And with, with what's going on with it being a health related sort of situation, I don't know if there are other rules that have to do with that, you know, and and then the fact that he resigned, you know, he might, maybe Bidwell isn't on the hook. I don't know if the, the, the contract had, I I, I mean, I'm not a contract expert, but it would seem to re re stand to reason that if you resign, uh, you forfeit those guarantees. So here's there's you there's there's a backdoor negotiation that happens before the resignation comes in. Like uh, the the way I found out about this is the whole John Gruden thing, and it took a minute for him to resign as the coach because he was resigning only if you agreed to pay a certain amount of his salary. I bet you that's what there was some separate negotiation with Kyman Bidwell. So somewhere in the middle, probably. Yeah, a quid pro quo. Right. Yeah, negotiation on you if you pay me this amount I'll, of money, I'll, I'll leave. Yeah. I'll give you ten million to resign. So but uh that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, and now the poor fans are paying the price. Ticket <laughs> tickets up twenty two percent and after a season where they team won one home game. 
Yeah. And it's been miserable at home for two years. And then, you know, I mean, so now the fans have to pay. And it's yeah, it sounds like the, the bid wars operate on a zero sum game for fans of, you know, of, of modest incomes to see a football game. That bothers me. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, the fans typically are the ones who do have to pay for this. And, uh, you know, I mean, the other thing was, was again, communication. The letter that went out to the season ticket holders was, oh, well, it's more this year because we have one more home game. Um, that's a blatant lie. Okay, every NFL team now has 10 home games and 10 away games on this new new arranged season. Some, are, some years you get two preseason home games. Other years you get one preseason home game. All right, but last year we had more home games than away games. This year it goes back to having more away games uh, than home games, although we did have the uh, Mexico City game count as a home game, which was the biggest joke home game ever, seeing as it was hordes and thousands and thousands of 49er fans. <laughs> That's another embarrassing... I mean, if there was ever an embarrassing showcase, I mean, and, you know, our player getting booed, Hernandez, running out the Mexican flag. <laughs> I mean, that was just... I mean, I don't know how many PR hits the Cardinals could take in one year, but this has to be the Guinness World Book record. Um, it's just been one PR hit after the next. And so, you know, I mean, I feel bad for the fans who not only have to now figure out whether they can afford to take this, pay, this you know, this price hike of 22% on, on these tickets, but also the the conning of oh it's one more home game when in fact it's one more preseason home game and it's one less regular season home game so it's really nothing except they want you to believe that it is yeah and one of the uh, if if the bidwells happen to be listening to this esteemed podcast <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if, maybe. If they do here, and and by the way, I still articulate the same point, which is if you feel like you can't afford to spend at the rates of other teams in the sport, I'd recommend selling to somebody who can. Your team would be worth a lot of money. On the flip side, since it's a family-owned team for 80 years, and I assume they'll continue to own the team into yeah. perpetuity. I'd be shocked if they ever sold. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. If that's going to be the case, the mo and you look at the embarrassment of being called out for, you know, your terrible <laughs> for pay charging players for meals and um, you know, creaky floorboards. And uh the other part of the report that I thought was interesting was that the players and people who observe that organization gave the bidwells the least confident that they would spend the money to upgrade <laughs> of any ownership group yeah. they were 32 out of 32 if you want to change your behavior when it comes to that good model to follow is mark davis and the raiders now they had to go to another city to get their state-of-the-art facility but the cardinals don't need to move to another city they already have a state-of-the-art facility down there in arizona both. They already did the move. To yeah, that State Farm Stadium is a. I mean, they just hosted the Super Bowl. It's a. It's an incredibly high quality stadium 
out there in Arizona. So you've already got the stadium there. What Mark Davis and the Raiders did was when they moved, they took out loans. They invested tons of money into brand new locker rooms. They wanted to create an identity of the organization in Vegas and that involved spending lots of money on facilities, lots of money on practice stuff, uh, extra money towards benefits outside of player salaries. And the NFLPA report, I was shocked to read it that the Raiders ranked third because Mark Davis has had financial problems over the last few years. There have been talks like he can't afford to buy out Josh McDaniel's contract. And they were third out of 32 because they just kept spending the money that was necessary to compete at the levels of the rest of the league and figured out your revenue sources later, assuming the money would come in. And because the NFL has a lot of revenue that they keep from teams in a reserve fund that you can take out for moments like this. So if you're looking for a model to change your perception, look at what the Raiders did. And I know saying Mark Davis is a good owner is obviously interesting, but just look at what the Raiders did over the last five years as a model for how to go from 31 to maybe just a middle of the pack team. And well, I they also have a, go ahead, Joe. I was just say, uh, uh, just quick point. I think what the middle of the pack is the important point to me in that, not that I don't want to be the best, but like, and you don't have to be, I said this before, you don't have to be the highest spending, just regress to average. Don't and, be Dean Spanos. Right. Get to average. And, and if you can get to average on that stuff, the, that, that you can, the culture can take care of everything else. Just get to average. Yeah. And I, and, in terms of facilities. Yeah. yeah. And Mark Davis had a, you know, fresh slate to go into Vegas and just do this from scratch. He also has a large assessment. Uh, in in um, incentive to do it because you know that the Pro Bowl was games were hosted there, and then he wants Super Bowl sites there, so um, years there, which he's going to get because that is state of the art right there, and you know they're going to get that. So he's he, he you know he he's like Bidwell, he he knows where his bread's buttered from the NFL or where it can be, and will will act accordingly. My only fear about the bid will selling is that the Cardinal would be gone forever of 120 years of a franchise. And that I would be forced to try to root for the Arizona iguanas. And um, I don't think I could do it without the Cardinal. I, and my years of investment in Cardinals and, you know, and that would, would the team have to fear. change their name because the Bidwells own the rights to the Cardinals? No, but I think you have that. You know, I don't think they would do that. that. I just, I, I, I think you'd see new logos or new jerseys and logos, maybe. But I think they keep it such a long-standing thing. I mean, I don't know. Well, the Baltimore, Baltimore yeah, the, did it. The, the, yeah, and then they got the, we see the league rectified that because they got panned. I know it's. A weird situation right maybe they expand and then the cardinals would go back to st louis i just think it wouldn't happen i just don't think another team would do that i, I mean who knows maybe we're all speculating i just i really don't think that would happen well that'd be great joe so you have, <laughs> here's hoping right maybe i'm have, the optimist here but <laughs> you have you know appeased my fears on a number of levels today <laughs> I, I must uh, thank you very much and and Kyle, as always, you have made me laugh, um, guffaw laughs. laughs. 
<laughs> thank you so much and with your your input and uh really enjoy these the time we get with each other on these podcasts and yeah we cover uh, everything don't we i we guess did. so yeah and i'm gonna go buy myself a lunch it's not coming free to me today <laughs> and uh, you know so i can't guarantee it'll be high nutrition but uh yeah, I'm gonna. I, just... Yeah, I'm not gonna befall someone just because Georgia Southwestern College makes you pay for lunch doesn't mean that the just because the San Francisco 49ers don't make you pay for lunch doesn't mean I'm gonna bemoan the 49ers. <laughs> I do get a gym to work out that doesn't have floorboards that are coming up, so that's oh nice. great. See, oh, we're moving <laughs> facilities to Southwest Georgia. <laughs> yeah you know you, you joke that you just give jj watt a, a gym in a garage with a bu- couple of his buddies i'm like that might be better than what the cardinals have right now <laughs> it's not as bad as they're saying no oh, i know that but it's not that bad no I, it's not that I mean, it's just worse than any other team in the nfl which i, I don't know what that's standing Locker room's older, but the carpeting's new with a big cardinal. And, you know, it's just not fancy dancy, but it's functional. I mean, it's not. <laughs> it, it, it's, you know, but when you look at, like Joe said, um, and you said, Kyle, with the Raiders facilities, when you look at that neon show of bling in these locker rooms, there's no comparison. You know, it's like a Miss America's contest locker room. I mean, so, you know, yeah, I mean, if that's this new state-of-the-art locker room in the NFL and, you know, it's, it's probably Biddle's going to have to pony that up pretty soon to try to keep pace with the Jerry Joneses. Um, so, but there were other other teams like the Patriots who were really down on the list. But I'd like to see them include weather you know, I'd like to see them include other things that are of consideration for free agents. You know, if they're going to do that, you know, weather, um, way of life, uh, stadium. How do you feel about your own playing in your own stadium? You know, things like that, which well, actually I think that Cardinal fans, if they're being Truthful will probably give decent grades to. Well, remember, this is coming from the Players Association, and the Players Association, of course, has an interest in getting the best quality of facilities and perks for their players. So the reason these are report cards are meant to hold these ownership groups accountable. And if fans aren't going to hold the ownership group accountable and the players union isn't going to hold the ownership group accountable, you have situations like the Bidwells forcing you to buy your boxed lunch. Right. (laughs) We we, we posted an article just a response to the, the report and I wrote a, it was a collaborative thing with our, some of our writers on our site. And the part I wrote, one of the, I described it as fan facing upgrades versus player facing upgrades. And the Cardinals has, have spent more on fan facing upgrades thus far. And these issues are more player facing things that, that were identified. Yeah, you were the um, team sociologist in that article. <laughs> I, I, was, I was very impressed. I, that was a dandy. <laughs> Thank and uh, I'm glad you're on the team now. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> right. Way to break yeah. that one. Well, we needed you. That was 
important info and its perspective because all shit was breaking loose on Twitter with it after that report. Just one, I mean, we can't have a day or two of being relaxed and enjoying the right. new Cardinal. Zero days since 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 last incident. I saw someone post I know. a tweet about We've that. Got to break break the spell somehow. So, uh, but thank you guys. Uh, really appreciate yeah. the time together as always, and enjoy your days and uh, and the combine and what's going to happen this weekend. So, uh, best to you both, and uh, I'll talk to y'all soon. Enjoy your boxed lunch, Walter. <laughs> Thank you very much, Kyle. Oh, another good fall on the way out. Thank you, pal. Take care. Have a great day. Right. Uh, Joe, See thanks you. so much for doing this, as always. It is uh, always super, super appreciated, and you'd like to have a lot of fun with these types of shows. Oh, I always enjoy the the invite. It's so you guys are great, both of you, to, to chat with. Uh, it, so believe me, the pleasure is all mine. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.